Welcome to Cornerstone. We're glad you've joined us. Today, we'll be hearing from a special guest speaker. Listen in and be encouraged as we spend some time in God's Word together. Brent Burkhart for the position of associate pastor at Grace Community Bible Church. And Brent made it absolutely clear at that time that, that while he longed for the opportunity to serve as an associate someplace, his real heart's desire was to plant a church. And you know what? We can absolutely get behind that. You bet. We'll do that. And, and I mean, besides, any chance I have to work with Brent, the answer is going to be yes. We'll figure out the details. Uh, but that, at that time, of course, the church hadn't even been named yet. It was just a dream in the mind and heart of a young guy. And then five years later, in January of 2021, I think it was, this church actually was born. And now, 22 years later, we're at the beginning of a new era. And it's an exciting new era. And from the day I heard that Brent was moving on into that new position, I began to pray that, that the very best years of this church would be ahead of it. And you know, when you've got a church that's young, just 22 years old, it's just, just hitting its stride, just reaching that young adulthood of a church. And I'm excited about who God has brought to the position of leadership to join a fantastic team of elders in a wonderful church. And I look forward to seeing what God does next. Uh, when I was offered the opportunity to speak today, I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. And I had a kind of a working title, something like Renewed Commitments for a New Era or something like that. But I quickly realized that really what I was going to do is just issue a biblical charge to this church. And so, you know what? That's what I decided to call it, a charge to Cornerstone. And it's really not one charge. It's going to be three. First of all, to begin with, it's going to be a charge to you, Pastor, about what it means to be, in just one very important way, the pastor of this dear church. And then secondly, a charge to your fellow elders and what it means to be an elder here. And then finally, a charge to the rest of you. And really, in a sense, it's the rest of us, because I'm not currently a pastor or an elder anywhere. I'm just part of a church family like you. Bio City Fellowship Spring Branch is our church. Uh, so I'm going to conclude with a charge to us as the people who, who are sitting in the pews on the typical Sunday and then going out there to live the life that God's called us to live. So a charge to the pastor, a charge to the elders, and then a charge to you, the people of this church. So first of all, a charge to the pastor, simply this, preach the word. And for this, I want us to start in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I have here listed chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. We'll come back to the remaining verses, but I want to read just the first two verses right now. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's a lot more to say, and we'll come back to the rest of this passage. We'll even look closer at those verses here in a moment, but but that's the charge. The charge, pastor, preach the word. Now, in each of these charges, we're going to look not only at the charge itself, but we're going to look at a couple of traps. Traps that preachers easily fall into these days, traps that elders easily fall into these days, and also traps that people like you and me fall into as, as, as the people, as the members of a church. So, to begin with, what are the traps that preachers can fall into? The charge is preach the Word. But the first trap we can easily fall into is one that kind of 
hears a different charge. Instead of hearing preach the word, what a lot of us, I think, think we hear is, is this. Educate the members. Now, I put that in scare quotes because that's not what it said. But we can easily go forward in our preaching ministry as though that were the charge. And you can think of this as truth without relevance. Now, I come from a tradition where, well, frankly, a lot of us fall into this trap. And I can tell you, I've fallen into this trap a time or two myself, and sometimes for extended periods of time. And the trap is simply this. You know, it's, it's, this is a wonderful book, and there's so much here. And the more you understand it, the more fascinating it becomes. And you start seeing the connections and the intricacies and the beauty of the whole thing. And you see how each piece informs the others, and the excitement grows. And you want to share that excitement with people. And they start looking at, oh, my goodness, the word is leaping off the page at them. The, the things they never thought of before. And they can't wait to come back and hear more. And you think, oh, this is fantastic. But, but well, what's the trap? That, that sounds great. Well, the trap, as Chuck Swindoll put it, is one of trafficking in unlived truth. A trap, as uh, Howard Hendricks described, of, he said, most of us are educated way beyond our level of obedience. It's a trap of truth without relevance. Truth without connection. Truth that doesn't go anywhere. It's truth that doesn't connect with who I am. It's just information. It's fascinating information. It's exciting. But how's it challenging me? How's it changing me? And it's truth without connection, not only to my life, but to this world that we're living in. You know, it's interesting. Jesus taught us to pray. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want us to think about that for a second. Think about the world you and I are living in. If his kingdom comes, there's going to be a collision. If this, if this world is to be like heaven, even in the smallest sense, the change is going to be cataclysmic. And so to engage in truth without relevance is to engage in truth that doesn't confront, a truth that doesn't challenge, a truth that doesn't, how Paul put it? He talked about preach or be ready to reprove, rebuke. A, a truth doesn't do any of those things. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But I want to say just enough about it now for you to understand what I'm referring to here. It's as though the charge were educate the members. As though the as though the objective was to, get, was to get all of you people to score high on a Bible and theology exam. And it's tempting, and it's an easy thing to do, and it's fascinating. But that's not the charge. The charge is to preach the Word. That's trap number one. We'll talk more in a moment about what the passage is, what preach the Word actually is telling us to do. But that's trap number one. Educate the members. Trap number two might be put this way. Fascinate the neighbors. Fascinate the neighbors. This is the opposite. If, if educate the members is truth without relevance, fascinate the neighbors is relevance without truth. You know, there's, there's real temptation in, in church life as a, as a leader to, to see your church grow. And you want to reach out to the community. You want to see, you know, an impact. You want to see seats filled. I mean, empty seats drive you nuts. And, and so what do you do? Well, one trap that we've a lot of us have fallen into, is, is relevance, but without truth. You know, we want to do a sermon series. 
that the, that the neighbors will look at and say, oh, I gotta hear that. That's fantastic. You know, I'm gonna learn about this. Now, let me just say right up front, I'm not setting aside or criticizing topical preaching. What I'm saying is this. If you're going to preach topically, preach biblically. Make it rich in content. Just that warning. And by the way, just in general, let me also say that um, this is really a message for you and for your fellow elders that preach from time to time, like Eric and others. Uh, The purpose of this section isn't to give the rest of you ammunition to shoot at your pastor. Just wanted to let you know that. And he's right now thinking, thank you so much. <laughs> and by the way, neither is the section I talk about elders, ammunition for you to shoot at them. I mean, well, you understand. I'm talking to your teachers right now. So that's the problem, is, is teaching that's designed to fascinate the neighbors. Now, I realized a long time ago, I'm not all that fascinated. Yeah, there are certain things I know about. Most of them are not at all interesting to most people. And you're the same way. I know your background. You know a lot about some nutty stuff that most people don't care about at all. And we're just riveted by it. But most people, not so much. And I've told you the story before about the time I picked up my daughter at a friend's house and her dad and I were talking. And uh, you remember that story? And, and he, I asked him what he did for a living. He's an oil and gas guy. Even back then, I could talk intelligently about it because of my background in chemistry. And then he asked me what I did. And I said, oh, I'm a pastor at a church in the area. And he told me, well, this conversation's gone as far as it's going to go. Okay, that's Emily. Uh, now, see, at that point, I realized that there isn't a whole lot I can advertise that I'm going to be talking about that's going to have that guy flocking to my church. Fascinate the neighbors. I understand the motivation. I understand what you're trying to do there. But we have to be careful that we don't engage in relevance without truth. You know, it's interesting. We were in the prayer a moment ago. We heard you mentioned that the, the idea about... Uh, but your word will not return to us void, but will accomplish that where until you send it. And, you know, we understand the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and merits, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Notice, that's about the word of God. So if I really want to be relevant, I need to be biblical. Because there's nothing I can say apart from the word of God that has that power to accomplish that where until he sent it. There's nothing else I can quote or say that's going to have that kind of impact of being a critic and discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and get into the minds of people and really lay bare who we are. Only the Word of God does that. So these are two traps. It's, it's educate the members. That's not the charge. Fascinate the neighbors. That's not it either. What's the charge? The charge is to preach the Word. The real Word to the real world. That's the charge. Why is that so important? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to go to the left a little bit, I'm having adventures with my clicker. Here we go. Why is great preaching so important? We'll go back a chapter, and we're not going to do a deep dive into this, but I just want you to see what it says. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. You know, let me just pause. I don't know if these are the last days or not, but I do know that if you look at what he's about to describe, it's going to look very familiar. So, it's, so anyway, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, 
slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Wait a minute, what? He's talking about the religious crowd. <laughs> Yikes. End of verse 5. Avoid such people. So this is the world we're living in. And like I said, sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? You don't look at this and say, I have no idea what he's talking about. What world does he live in? Well, we do have an idea of what he's talking about. And that's why, well, he goes on. So much to say here, but in verse 10 and following, he talks about, you have, this is chapter 3, you have, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. You, you've, you've seen me live my life. I want to point out something right here that we're going to see in a moment about elders. It's the importance of an example. It's the importance of an example. You know, great teaching is necessary. But it's not sufficient. You need, you need to be walking with people in the midst of this. And the charge for elders is going to apply to you too because you're one of the elders. But in addition to that charge to be a great example, as Paul himself was, we, we find this. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And boy, that is so true about you, Pastor Daniel. The, the, the background you have, the, the parents you grew up with. The, I mean, you're like me. We, we both won the parent lottery. And the, the, I, I joke with people, I was probably in the third-year seminary before I learned anything new. It's just incredible. And, and don't forget that. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, I want you to notice the words there, because the words make it clear that this is not simply educate your members. Look what he says. It's profitable for teaching. Okay, that's good, teaching. But notice, for reproof, for correction. Wow, getting a little confrontational there. Yes, yes. Because if the Word of God does anything, it needs to be calling me out. It needs to be challenging me, confronting me, showing me who I am, things about myself I'd rather not look at, but, but not in there. goes on to say, for training in righteousness. I need to change. I need to grow. The Word of God helps me do that. But notice, there's a difference between being trained and simply being educated. Julie and I used to be active in the University of Houston's International Student Friends Ministry, and we uh, loved those folks, the international students we got to know. The best couple ever, though, was a couple from Beijing, and they were just a riot. They were so fun. Monica and Wesley were their American names, their Mzungu names, as we think of it. Uh, but the, uh, it, it was funny. She was the student at the University of Houston, and he was a postdoc at MD Anderson Cancer Center doing some crazy thing I didn't understand at all. But he was so funny. He, we were going to play tennis one day. And so he'd never played tennis before. All right, so naturally, what do you do? If you've never done anything before, something, you, you go to YouTube. And so he watched a YouTube video on how to play tennis. So he watched the He's got it. And we got out there, and some, for some reason, it didn't really work. 
And what was wonderful is he was actually confused. But I watched the video, and he didn't understand. And I don't know, either this guy's the greatest comedian of all time, or he was just so, I don't know, but Wesley was a hoot. But he was really confused about how he, he watched the video, but he isn't able yet to play tennis. No, you're not, because there's a difference between being educated and being trained. That's why we get the very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Look at that again. I mean, how serious is he here? I charge you, Timothy, Daniel, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. This is serious. Yeah, because the situation we described in chapter 3 is serious. Because the lostness of people is serious. And even the sad spiritual state of those of us who come to Christ as Savior before we grow is serious. So he charges us. Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready. In season and out of season. I love that. Whether people are expecting it or not. Reprove. Rebuke, those confrontational words again, and exhort. You know, earlier I talked about thy kingdom come, thy will be done, how, how shocking that would be if it actually happened. When you bring the real word to the real world, well, you need to be wearing a crash helmet because that's intense, and that's the call. It's not just to educate. It's not just to fascinate. It's to bring the real word to the real world and let, and let them collide. He goes on to describe in verse 3 what he sort of described already in chapter 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Time is coming. It's here. It's here. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Let me commend you, Cornerstone. You have not done that. You have not called a preacher who will tell you what your itching ears want to hear. He's going to preach the real word to the real world. Praise God for that. And not let you turn aside to myths and nonsense. But then he says to Timothy, to Daniel, verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. It's not going to be easy. It's a lot easier to tell people what they want to hear. It's hard to confront them, to speak the truth in love, but to speak the truth. But that's your job. That's why you were called. That's what great preaching looks like. We've already looked at the passage. That's what it looks like. Bring your crash helmets. Charge to the pastor. Preach the word. But now a charge to the pastor and his fellow elders in their capacity as elders. Shepherd the flock. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. We'll look at it briefly, and then we'll come back to it. So, chapter 5, verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder 
and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Sound familiar? That sounds a lot like 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. This is serious stuff. So Peter's exhorting you, elders. We got any elders in the room? Show of hands. A few of you. Yep. Had some in the first service. Here's the exhortation. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We talked about the importance in 2 Timothy chapter 3 of the example that Paul was. And he was an example in his capacity as an elder. Shepherd the flock. That's the charge. But there are also some shepherding traps that people fall into these days. And wow, are these common. Trap number one. Shepherding trap number one. Make the decisions. You know, I put it in scare quotes here because sometimes elders think, well, that's what they were told to do. Well, true, there is decision-making responsibility there. I mean, the ability to lead is, is, is a, a spiritual gift. It's a responsibility for elders. But, but there's more to shepherding than making decisions. And the mistake is one of leading from the boardroom. If you ask the average elder in the average church that has elders, describe to me your experience as an elder. You know the first thing they're going to think of? Oh, it's those late night meetings. It's those Tuesday nights where they may have pizza together or maybe somebody's gracious enough to bring Chick-fil-A because you get tired of pizza and you just go on and you go on and you go on and the hours pass and it gets and decision quality plunges and it's like 10 and it's 11 o'clock, but there's stuff we've got to get to. And the wife wonders, hey, you know, what's your ETA? You get those texts and, oh, that's got that one behind us. But then there's another one coming next month. And at times there's something's going on. You may have two of those a month. And for a lot of elders, the dominant experience of eldering is being in meetings with other elders, as though that was really the heart of it. You know what question I hear a lot in churches? People ask, who are our elders? Who are, who, 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 who are the elders here? Listen, I don't care how much time you spend in meetings. If the sheep don't know your voice... If they don't even know your name, you are not a shepherd. You're going to have to have meetings. But one of the things you're going to have to do, and every leader in every walk of life understands this, there's certain things that only you can do. These are the heart of your responsibility. Other things you could do, you might even be good at them. But as much as possible, those other things have to go. You've got to delegate them. The apostles figured this out early in the early church in Acts chapter 6. There was an administrative problem with the distribution of food, and you know, they could have, and people were being affected by it. It's not a trivial matter. But what it is, is something that somebody else could do. So what did they do? Well, the word deacon isn't used in that context, but they essentially created the office of deacon to, to take care of those things. But we'll talk about that more in a moment. The next thing, the first one is make the decisions. The second one, run the programs, as though that's the essential calling. And really, the Acts example fits in perfectly here. A lot of elders act like, well, my fundamental role is to manage the ministry. Somebody's got to run this railroad after all. Train's got to run on time. And often we select as elders people who have had success in this kind of thing in other areas of life because that's so much of how we define success in our culture. You've accomplished something. You've built something. You're running something effectively. 
And so because you're good at that sort of thing, that's the sort of person we need in this meeting, back to the previous point. Now, it is true that, that administration is, is an important spiritual gift, and elders do have to be able to manage the household of God. First Timothy 3 talks about that. But there's more to shepherding than running the programs. And that's why in Acts chapter 6, the apostles said, you know what, We've, we cannot divert our attention from the real shepherding function and prayer for people and ministering the Word into people's lives for this very important function of, distrib- of distributing food We need other people who are actually good at that kind of thing to take that and run with it so that we can stay on task with our shepherding function. And believe me, there are a lot of elders right now, if they heard me say this, they'd be getting very nervous because they're already so busy. And my response to that busyness is, is there something you need to delegate? Is there something somebody else needs to be doing? Because again, if the people you're supposed to shepherd don't know who you are, they don't even know your name then you're not shepherding. And the call is shepherd the flock. That's the call. Now, what does great shepherding look like? Well, Acts chapter 20, Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. He's about to go back to Jerusalem. It's a scary time for him. The Spirit of God has told him it's going to be rough there in Jerusalem. But in Acts chapter 20, he's departing from the Ephesian elders and he's He's given them a charge uh, as a fellow elder. And it's fascinating. If you begin in verse 17 and read through most of that chapter, you'll see Paul as an example. You know, you yourselves know, verse 18, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, you see, it goes on in this vein, describing the work of a shepherd, the work of an elder, and himself as an example. But he's leaving. And he says, I don't want you guys to drop the ball on this. And so he says, in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Watch out for the folks. Take care of the flock. The flock of God, over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He assigned you to this group of people. I'm going to come back to that in a second. And notice, to care for the church of God. Not just educate them, but to care for them. To walk closely enough with them through life that you know what's on their hearts. You know what's burdening them. You know what's you know, you know where things are going off the rails because you know who they are. First Peter chapter 5. Look, look at that again. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock and so on. Then there's a reward in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I want you to notice something that Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders back in Acts 20, 28, and Peter's charge here in 1 Peter 5 have in common. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, over whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Both verses point that out. I can almost make this a third trap. But I haven't, but I want to emphasize it. Um, 
There's so much pressure, as I said before, to, to grow a church that the attention of the pastor and the elders can easily shift to the people who aren't here. The people who are out there in the neighborhood, because that's how we keep score in the God business. How big's your church? And because that's how we keep score, you know, there's an old saying, what gets rewarded gets done. And the temptation, very subtle, but it's persistent, is to forget the flock of God over whom the Holy Spirit has made us overseers. And in this church, that's you. And to begin to treat you as, as a means to some other end, reaching those people. I've, I spent a lot of time in this trap, people. A lot. But the charge is to shepherd the flock of God over whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the charge. These folks. And here's what's interesting. If you try to do it the other way, and people just feel used, like they're just a means to some other end, like it's really the other people that are important, not them, they're just tools, how many people do you think they're going to invite to church with them? I wouldn't. But on the other hand, if they are well-loved and well-cared for, they'll tell their friends, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd them well. You know, bottom line is this. You can lead and manage from a distance, but you can only shepherd up close. So that's the charge. Shepherd the flock of God. Finally, a charge to the people, the rest of us. Follow your leaders as they follow Christ. I get that from 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Paul's just given yet another little discussion in chapter 10. Chapter 11, verse 1 kind of goes a little bit better with chapter 10 than it does with chapter 11. So he's talked about being an example. And then he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's the passage I chose as a charge to, to the rest of you. Follow your leaders as they follow Christ. We, I talked a little bit about the preaching traps and the shepherding traps. There are some following traps, too. The first following trap is this. Complain to management. You're not doing what I want you to do. The people say to their pastor and elders, you know, I've got a dear friend who's uh, an executive leader in a big church, and I don't know if most of his time is spent fielding complaints, but I'm close enough to him as a friend to know that it feels that way sometimes. Certainly most of his emotional energy goes into fielding complaints from his own members. No sermon is good enough. No matter who the guest speaker might be. Oh, here come the list of complaints. A nominated elder, not good enough. A program, that's not what we want. And we treat, we treat our, our shepherds as though they're the, on the, the board of the property owners association. When are you going to fix that bridge? I pay good money in my property taxes, my association dues, and everything else. And this bridge, it's been, we can tell them how long it's been, I mean... Yeah, there's, I have a particular bridge in mind. It has now been fixed. Well, street lights out. 
And so that's kind of the way we approach. Now, that's a funny kind of following. Uh, you're not doing what I want you to do. Now, it doesn't feel trivial. I mean, you're concerned. You've got, you look at yourself, your own life, you look at your family, and there are things that, well, my family needs this, and my kids need that, and, and I'm concerned about them. And that concern can very easily show up in complaints. And by the way, let me just say, that shepherds, the, the closer you are to your people, uh, number one, you'll, you'll understand the concerns because you're close to them. You'll, you'll see the concerns before they even voice them. And so often this, you know, well, these things are connected. These issues are connected to one another. But trap number one, it, it's sort of, you know, this is not Burger King. Have it your way. That's trap number one. Complain to the management. It's just consumerism. It's just, you know, it's what we've been trained to do in our culture. It's not the right fit here. But then the other trap is participate selectively. The previous one, you're saying to the elders, you're not doing what I want you to do. In this one, you're saying to the elders, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Most churches that have thought things out at all have some sort of a, of a, of a strategy on how to help people grow spiritually. You, can, you might think of it as a discipleship pathway. This is how we're doing it. You know, we want people to grow, and we want to help them. We want to facilitate that and be part of equipping them and all that good stuff. So here's, here's the way we want to do it. This is our strategy. Maybe it's a discipleship pathway. Maybe it's a discipleship environment that you're inviting them into. That might be like a home team, for example. And, and so this is, this is how the church is trying to do it. We're trying to do it this way. This is our approach. And, and this following trap is saying... Um, no, thank you. Uh, I'll, I actually, I'll take this bit of this and that bit of that, but that's really all we have time for in our family. Uh, and so you participate selectively. You sort of opt out of the overall disciple-making approach of the church. I, I decided to come up with two sort of versions of this. One version, and you can see them on the next slide. Um, okay, here we go. It comes in two forms, neglecting relationships and avoiding the pathway. The first of all, neglecting relationships. You know, we're just so busy. Oh, we're just so busy. We, we come skating in here at the last minute. We, we got so, we've got places to go afterwards. We leave, and, and the home team, yeah, we've been, we understand about that, but we're just so busy with things, and, and you're so busy that you find out that you don't really have relationships. Now, let me tell you something. None of this is going to work without relationships, You, you, can't, you can't grow the way you need to grow, just sort of picking this and a little of that, and then that's it, and everything else, life's just too busy. So neglecting relationships is not the path forward. The other way it shows up is avoiding the pathway or the environment. It's saying, okay, I understand that's how you want me to grow, but um, really I'm more interested in that kind of ministry and this kind of an approach over here. And you might even pick some of that stuff up at other churches because they're doing what you think ought to be done. And so you're just staying off the discipleship pathway. Well, understand that, that the pastor and the elders here have convictions about what it looks like to grow in Christ and how they're going to help you do that. And they've laid out a discipleship pathway or created disciple-making environments. And there's no substitute for actually being part of it. But selective participation. Oh, you know, we're busy. We don't really have time for that. That's what it looks like. Follower trap number two. Selective following. Selective participation. The calling, if you can help me out with the button here, 
1 Peter 5, 5-7. He's just given a charge to the elders. What does he say in verse 5? Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. It's just submitting to humbling yourself before the people God has placed over you. Just acknowledging that they have real spiritual authority and responsibility. Hebrews 13.7, just to make this explicit, he, the writer of the Hebrews, whoever that might be, says this in chapter 13, verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Don't just listen to what they say. Get close enough to them and stay close enough to them that you can watch their lives. And then imitate what you see. You can't do that if you're neglecting relationships. You can't do that if you're off that pathway. And then verse 17, he just says it straight out. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The elders that are here at Cornerstone literally will stand before Jesus one day to give an account of how they shepherded you. What good does it do if you're making that hard on them? If you're fighting against it? So so the calling is obey your leaders, submit to them. They're keeping watch over your souls. Work with them on that. Go with them on that. That's the charge. And then 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me, Paul says, as I follow Christ. That's the invitation from Pastor Daniel and from your elders. Follow your leaders as they follow Christ. So just to wrap this up, I'm way over time, but that's okay because I don't have to come back again. I mean, this is my last shot. I'm running out of time, Jim. Yeah, three charges. Pastor, preach the word. Elders, shepherd the flock. And for the rest of us, follow your leaders as they follow Christ. Let me pray for us as we prepare for communion. Father, I thank Thanks for spending some time with us today. For further information about today's podcast or our church in general, please visit us at cornerstonecbc.org. That's cornerstonecbc.org. Thanks. See you next time.